That was a lot of singing. It was good singing, wasn't it? Amen. Amen. You can be turning in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me share with you uh, the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He writes to the church, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 is not our text for today. We'll read that together in a moment, but I wanted to start there for a couple of reasons. First, we're trying to get to know one another, and that's a weird thing to do in a couple of days, isn't it? Um, it there are challenges with it. There are funs, uh, fun things about it, but I wanted to share those three verses with you. Um, first and foremost, because um, they have been so meaningful to me um, as I have navigated some hard things in pastoral ministry, and as we, uh, and when I say we, me and Kelly and our family, have navigated hard things in our personal lives in the same way that you have. Those verses have been anchors for our souls, and I wanted to share them with you. And through those hard things in life and in ministry, I know this, and I think the Apostle Paul knew this too. Affliction is not failure for the faithful Christian. Christian affliction is God's merciful reminder to us of our Savior, our purpose, and our hope. Let me say that to you one more time, and I'm going to say it several times today. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write it down. Affliction is not failure for the faithful Christian. Christian affliction is God's merciful reminder to us of our Savior, of our purpose, and of our Hope. But the second reason that I wanted to start uh, with 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 is this two-letter word at the beginning of verse 16, the word so. Um, that's where it starts, and it can be also translated therefore, and you probably know this, but a simple tool uh, for good and healthy Bible study is to learn how to kind of notice the words therefore and because uh, in the Bible as you're reading and slow down. How often do you slow down in your Bible reading? Uh, and recognize why those words are there. And specifically here in verse 16 of chapter 4, this two-letter word so that can also be translated as therefore should just kind of stop us in our tracks to go what Paul is about to tell us in verse 16 and beyond is grounded somewhere. There are reasons for it not found after verse 16 but found before. Namely, when he says that he is able, and this is an audacious claim for probably anyone, but specifically the Apostle Paul, when he is able to say, so we do not lose heart, therefore we do not lose heart. When you read that, when I read that, we should want to say, how, <laughs> right? Paul, we, we know your story. How? Why? How is it possible that you are able to not lose 
heart. And while the grounds for his not losing heart can be found um, in uh, that chapter, chapter 4, namely verses 7 through 14, where he talks about we hold this treasure. What treasure? The gospel in jars of clay. What are the jars of clay? His frail, sinful body. But why? So that he knows that the surpassing power belongs where? with God, right? And not him. That's part of the purpose. But what I want to do today is show you that that simple word so and his claim to not lose heart doesn't just trace back a few verses, but the grounds for that reality that Paul could live his life under affliction so often without losing heart traces all the way back to the opening of his letter. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I learned uh, that I think you guys stand as we read God's word. So would you join me in standing um, for the reading of God's word? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Let me read that verse again. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You can have a seat. So, Where are we at in 2 Corinthians? I know you guys have been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, so I don't want to assume that we're uh, thinking in terms of 2 Corinthians. This is a letter obviously written by Paul. It's one of several written by Paul to this fledgling church in Corinth. And I might add, Paul planted this church, uh, if you want to look back in Acts chapter 18. And Paul identifies himself from the beginning as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, verse 1. What a claim. And it's a claim that he made regularly, but it's one that he is going to be defending. If you read the whole letter of 2 Corinthians, it's one he's going to be defending throughout the letter. You see, the church in Corinth, which is often remembered for its dysfunction, and I will say rightly so, right? But what church doesn't have dysfunction? Amen? No, y'all, no dysfunction here. Praise God, we're coming. Okay, no, it does. And you can see 1 Corinthians if you want a glimpse of that. But the church also had issues with their founder, with their father in the faith, with the apostle Paul. We know from internal evidence in the letter that many in the Corinthian church had called into question Paul's own apostleship. Why would they do that? Why would they question the claims of this man who had impacted them so greatly. 
It was because of his regular and consistent affliction. The argument that they would have been making reminds me of the story of Job. I think it probably reminded me of the story of Job because I've been reading Job recently in my time with the Lord. And Job's friends, if you're familiar with the story, they had beaten Job down with accusations that he must have had unconfessed sin for God to bring so much suffering in his life, right? They said, you, you've got to have something going on in your world. They were arguing, much like the Corinthians, that suffering equals affliction. That suffering equals affliction. And we know, though, think about it just for a second. Step back for just a second. We know, as Job and as Paul argue, that that equation just isn't true. Now, sometimes we do suffer at our own doing, right? We cause our own suffering because of sin, but it's not exclusively true. We need only to look briefly at Jesus's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You don't have to turn there, but I'd encourage you to go back and read it later. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. What does Jesus say? Blessed are those who are what? You know it. Blessed are those who are? persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you or revile you and say all sorts of evil about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We not only look at Jesus's teaching, but we can also look directly at Jesus's suffering to put the final nail in the coffin of this trumped up equation and allegation. I'll just point you one place to a prophecy about our suffering servant savior, Isaiah 53 verse three. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he, was born, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But listen to this, listen to this amazing prophecy. But he was pierced, why? For our transgressions. He was crushed. Why? For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought what? Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned every one to his own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Affliction does not always equal Unfaithfulness. You see, Paul was writing this letter as a defense. He's arguing in a letter to his accusers. These are my words, but he's saying something to the effect of, I have not been perfect, but I have been faithful. He's also writing as a warning to the church. He's saying, if you dismiss me in my affliction, you're not just dismissing me. You are dismissing my gospel. And if you dismiss my gospel, that is a dangerous and potentially damning decision. You see, Paul is writing with purpose. He is writing with passion. He's writing as both defense and warning. And we also have to remember that he's writing to whom? The local church, 
right? He's writing to the local church in Corinth. And I was helpfully reminded, uh, you know, of something that you probably know, but I was listening to a pastor's podcast uh, a couple weeks ago and just reminded of this simple and foundational truth that the whole of the Bible is written to who? Old Testament and new. God's people, right? Therefore, if we are God's people, we should be able to sit and read any portion of God's, pipe, uh, of God's word and find application for us as his people. So the question is, are we God's people? Are we God's people? I would say corporately, collectively, congregationally, we can answer with a resounding, unequivocal yes, right? We are God's people. That means this letter is for us. And I wish I could make eye contact with every one of you in the room, and I don't know you well yet, um, but I also want to ask this on an individual basis. Are you God's child? Kids in the room, you may think this sermon that this guy is preaching, it's not for me. I'm only six. I'm only seven. I'm only 12 or 13. No, it's for you. Are you God's child? Because if you answer yes, no matter what your age, no matter what your background, no matter what you experience, if you are a part of God's family, this letter is for you. But what if you answer no? What if you say, I, no, I'm not here. I'm here today because I had to be here today. For whatever the laundry list of reasons could be, you say, no, I'm not child. Well, guess what? This letter is for you as well. How can I say that? Well, the Apostle Paul, right there in verse 6, says it's for your comfort and salvation. The Apostle Paul is saying, if you're not in Christ, start there. It's an invitation, first and foremost, to join God's family. It's an invitation for you to respond to and rely on Jesus, the one who suffered and died, yes, but who rose and conquered death on the behalf of his chosen and beloved family. Paul is making his case to the Corinthian church. My affliction is not a mark of my failure. My affliction is the mercy of God poured out to remind me of my Savior, of my purpose here in this world, and of my hope. So, in the time we have remaining today, let's attempt to unpack Three arguments from Paul for the purpose and hope in Christian affliction. Three arguments from Paul for the purpose and hope in Christian affliction. Argument number one, God is sovereign over Paul's affliction. Amen? God is sovereign over Paul's affliction. Look back at verse three. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. That's a bold claim. Now, some of you have uh, gotten to chat with my family this week, and you have learned that we are a foster family. Our first foster placement was Prince, who is still with us today, uh, on January 17th, 2020. Flipped our world upside down. And uh, our journey was, like many of you, and whatever life leads your way, uh, has been kind of an up and down journey, right? It started off with a call that said, would you like to take a placement? You'll probably have him for a night or two. 
it moved on to, would you be willing to introduce him to some adoptive families, some potential families that might want to adopt him to, oh my goodness, we're in a pandemic. He can't meet any potential adoptive families. Would you consider adopting him to us falling head over heels in love with this little boy and not being able to fathom or imagine not adopting him to, it's not done yet, to a month before the termination of parental rights, his mom didn't just return. His mom showed up for the first time and said she wanted Prince back. You see, Prince came to us at seven month, months old, and he's now three years old. And let me just be frank. We have no idea, no idea what God is doing in this I don't know where on the affliction scale this particular struggle falls for us, but what I do know and believe is that God is sovereign over us, and God is sovereign even over this situation in our lives. Hear me, no matter the outcome, a song called sovereign over us, uh, has been on repeat in my brain and my heart and on my playlist uh, for a couple months now, and I just wanted to share a few of the lyrics with you. There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears, and you meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us when beyond our understanding, you are teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood, faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You see, I believe Yet, I need a family and a church family to regularly remind me that even in my pain, God is sovereign. And not only is God sovereign, he is with me. God is working. And I imagine I'm not alone in that. If you're here this morning and you are hurting, you've walked in here this morning and you're, if you were honest, you would say, I do not know if what God is doing right now is good, let me remind you that he is working in your waiting. That he will, not can, if you're in Christ, he will meet you in your mourning with a love that casts out fear. Argument number one, God is sovereign over Paul's affliction and he's sovereign over yours too. Argument number two, Paul's affliction was not arbitrary. It was full of purpose. Paul's affliction was not arbitrary. It was full of purpose. Look again at verse three. We're gonna read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that, two, uh, two more key words when you're reading the Bible. When you see so that, you're going, this is why. Whether this was hard or good, this is why. So that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted 
by God. Paul is continuing to make his case. My affliction is not failure, church. It doesn't mean that I'm not preaching the gospel. It doesn't mean that I'm sinning or doing things wrong. My affliction is not failure. My affliction is God's merciful reminder to me of my Savior and his suffering, of my purpose in this life, to live as Christ, to die as gain, and my hope. So let me show you just three of those purposes. Purpose number one, when Paul was afflicted, he was reminded of the gospel. And that's foundational. As Christians, we need to know that when Paul was afflicted, he was reminded of the gospel, specifically where Paul was reminded of his union with Christ. You see, when Paul declared in verse three that Jesus is his Lord, that's not a passing statement. When, when the scales fell off of Paul's eyes, he did not just receive restored sight. He was united to Christ. Yes, for salvation, but what does verse five point out? To share in what? Christ's sufferings, right? We love salvation, amen. Share in Christ's sufferings, amen? It's harder, amen. Could there be any greater purpose though for Paul or for you than to share in the sufferings of our Lord? Purpose number two, when Paul was afflicted, he was able to receive comfort from God. Now, I just needed, I didn't even put this in my notes, but I just need to pause here. Paul was able to receive comfort from the sovereign triune God of the universe. Like that should stop us in our tracks. Incredible that he could receive comfort, that, that our God cares. He, he doesn't just sit on his throne high above us, although he does, worthy to be worshiped and praised, but he is actually Emmanuel, God with us, leading us, guiding us, directing us, rebuking us, correcting us, and yes, comforting us. We share in Christ's sufferings. We receive Christ's comfort. Paul shared in Christ's sufferings. He received Christ's comfort. How? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, through God's word and through God's people. I was sharing with a dear friend the other day on the phone about our struggle that we're going through with Prince. And this brother in Christ uh, has buried a child of his own. And I made the comment as I was whining. That's what I was doing was whining. I said, but I know that it's not like losing a child to death. And he waited patiently and lovingly, but then he gently and clearly rebuked and comforted me. And he said, Bobby, don't believe the lie that what you're going through is insignificant or small or not like losing a child. You can grieve if you lose Prince in the same way that I grieved when I buried my child. You see, God used my brother in Christ to lavish me with gospel comfort, a comfort that was available to Paul, a comfort available to me, and if you are in Christ, it's a comfort available to you too. Purpose number three, when Paul was afflicted, God was equipping him to do something with it, amen? He was equipping him to comfort others. The key 
still is the gospel. In Christ, we receive comfort in affliction. In Christ, we can give comfort through affliction by reminding the saved that they're in Christ. Don't forget you're in Christ. The God of the universe is with you in your affliction and by pointing the unsaved to Christ. Now, let me caution you there. I could probably talk for 20 minutes on that. When the unsaved are in any affliction, it's an opportunity for you to proclaim to them the hope that you have in Christ, but you need to do it slowly. You probably just need to sit with them in their pain, Christian or non-Christian. But at some point, with gentleness, respect, and great patience, you need to come back to them and say, you, even in this pain, there is hope to be found. Argument number two, Paul's affliction was not arbitrary. It was full of purpose. Argument number three, Paul's affliction was a reminder to look beyond temporary pain to permanent hope. And I want to, I again, just be super gentle here. Because if you have just experienced the death of a spouse, if you have just lost a job um, because of your stand for Jesus, or any number of things, I know that your heart is tender right now. Just let the comfort of the Holy Spirit wash over you right now. But for all of us, we do need to know that Paul's affliction was a reminder that for Christians in our affliction, at some point, we need to look beyond the temporary pain into our permanent hope. What made Paul's comfort solid? What made it lasting? The gospel, right? That was not a trick question. The gospel, Christian comfort is set apart by gospel hope. Look down at verse seven. Paul writes, our hope for you, church, is unshaken for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You see, Christian comfort is set apart by gospel hope because while comfort might include a visit from or to a friend, it might include an encouraging text, it might include a deep embrace and hug because those things do show care. But those things don't heal cancer. Those things, a text, a call, a hug, they don't get a job back. They don't bring the prodigal child home. They may provide momentary comfort, but they can't provide lasting hope. So what does Christian comfort, Holy Spirit comfort, the comfort Paul received and poured out was supercharged with gospel Hope, Paul's hope and the hope that would comfort the Corinthian church is this. Those who share in Christ's sufferings, whether they live or whether they die, will one day share gloriously in Christ's resurrection. Amen. That was Paul's gospel hope. That's how Paul could endure beatings and shipwrecks and being stoned and going hungry, right? That is how he endured. Paul writes in verses 8 through 10, look back down. We didn't read this earlier, but this is so important. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but... 
That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, hear this, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Argument number three, Paul's affliction was a reminder to look beyond temporary pain to permanent hope. Now, I've said it about three times. I'm going to say it one more time. Paul's affliction was not a mark of his failure. That's the case he's making. Paul's affliction was a reminder to him and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the goodness and grace of God, it's a reminder to us of his Savior, who I hope and pray is your Savior, of his purpose and his hope. His Savior was Jesus. His purpose was to comfort others with the comfort he had received and to share his hope. What was his hope? Let's be clear. Verse 8, that God raises the dead. Amen? That God raises the dead. Is that your hope? His brother, sister in Christ, I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you will go through, but I cannot promise you that it will let up in this life. What I can promise you is that if you're in Christ, when you take your last breath in this world, you will take your first breath in the abundant, eternal, affliction-free hope of eternity. Amen. Revelation 21.4. God will, not yet necessarily, but one day wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So here's today's simple two-part invitation. Will you receive God's comfort? Will you live like the Apostle Paul and drink daily from the comfort offered to those in Christ? If you haven't realized it yet, Paul's argument here and throughout the New Testament is that lasting comfort through unavoidable affliction is only found in union with Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you resting in his comfort alone? for salvation, but also for enduring hope. Invitation number two, will we, will we anchor our lives, our families, and this church to the unseen future hope of the gospel? 
Will we believe Paul's words, not just read them, not just listen to them, but will we believe Paul's words? Will we preach them to ourselves and to one another often? Will we believe and declare that our hope is unequivocally founded in the reality that God raises the dead? Therefore, therefore, we do not lose heart. Let's pray. Father, it's so, it's not easy, Lord, but it is relatively easy for me to stand here and preach these words. God, we just submit to you that it is so hard. In the midst of cancer, in the midst of persecution at work, in the midst of losing a child in the midst of a marriage that's falling apart, in the midst of affliction, God, we submit to you. It is so hard for us not to lose heart. God, when you don't let us in, Father, which you are totally okay and right to do, you have that right. When you don't let us in immediately on what you are doing, God, we confess it is hard to not lose heart, but would you help us and help us help each other to receive the comfort that rests inside of us if we're in Christ? Would you help us to receive and rely on the enduring, everlasting comfort that you have given us in and through your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to remind it to ourselves every morning as we drink deeply of your word? Would you help it to remind it to our spouses every morning when, when we could just get um, oblivious in the monotony of the daily routine? Would you help us to not? Would you help us to speak to our spouses and our children the truths of the gospel, God? Would you help us to remind each other as brothers and sisters in Christ gently but truthfully, that even in our affliction, God, that you are working. And Father, in all of those things, our deepest desire is that you would be glorified in Christ Jesus and in the church forever and ever. Amen.